leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Growing cost pressures, the integration of technology, and the transformation of the patient into a healthcare consumer is giving rise to a new health economy. In its report on the top health industry issues for 2016, PwC highlights the forces expected to have the most impact on the industry in the coming year. We spoke to Carla Anderson, principal of U.S. Pharmaceuticals and Life Sciences for PwC, about the report how an increasing emphasis on value is reshaping the sector, and what's in store for 2016. Carla, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Glad to be here. We're going to talk about PwC's report on the top health issues for 2016. As I read through the top health issues, I found there there were some commonalities several of them shared, particularly in the forces shaping them, and, and these in many ways are interrelated. I, I thought we could begin with some of these underlying forces, the, the trends driving these changes to healthcare, and then look at some of those changes themselves. Uh, I thought we could start with the Affordable Care Act. How, how is that changing incentives for the players in healthcare arena, and what changes is it is it forcing? Certainly, the Affordable Care Act is one of the dynamics, I think, that's creating a lot of the underlying uh, movement in the market. But I would say even more broadly than just the Affordable Care Act, which is you know, primarily focused on on the government patients. I think there's an equal amount of focus on the commercial side or the private side of the, the marketplace to to be more efficient, to address the underlying affordability of healthcare in the U.S. market. And with those sort of two components, both the private and the public side, there's obviously all sorts of change going on across the, uh, across the industry, both on the provider side, the payer side, and uh, the manufacturing side. But one of the biggest issues that's driving is merger mania in the healthcare sector, particularly among hospitals and insurers. You expect this to be a big theme in 2016. What are you seeing and what are the implications? Well, I think this is the place where you start to see the uh, interrelatedness of the marketplace in that when major payers 
merge, when hospital systems consolidate and a market really becomes, you know, behaves much differently, and when the largest manufacturers of pharmaceuticals merge, I think there's there's up and down that continuum a whole set of, of consequences that um, fall out of those mergers. So certainly there's, you know, sort of the immediate changes and priorities that come from mergers in general, but I think the, the longer-term impact is really everyone trying to understand how will their stakeholders, their customers, uh, even patients behave going forward with these different dynamics in the market. So it's really an unprecedented time relative to changes happening really completely across the industry. And, and as you noted, many of the similar types of changes that are occurring, consolidation is, is, is such a major factor in the marketplace now and, and, and going forward over the next several years. You talk about affordability broadly. The, the flip side of that is cost, which is uh, another major theme and the need to contain it. Um, the, the push for greater efficiency, transparency, or, or the effort to do things better and cheaper. To what extent are cost pressures driving the, the issues you highlight in this report? Well, I think they're, they're interrelated. I think the in- interesting and exciting thing about what's happening in healthcare now is that for a long time, the the cost equation was really a pushing on the the the, the suppliers. So, driving down costs of the physician visits, driving down cost of the drugs. You know, trying to uh, really pay, play a highly interventional role in utilization. And one of the changes I think that we see largely enabled by technology is that there's just so many more tools to address efficiency in the market. So clinical processes are changing and getting more efficient. Evidence-based medicine is allowing you to say, are the things we've been doing historically even necessary going forward? The ability to track that and understand clinical outcomes and economic outcomes of patients really is giving the, the whole system more leverage to be able to drive cost out. And then added to that, the idea that there is this, you know, underlying theme of value, I think finally that has, you know, resonated. And again, some of that is, again, interrelated to the mergers that are happening in the marketplace because there are, you know, more concentrated buyers with more leverage. They're able to, you know, to demand different pricing because of their volume. And that in turn puts you know, increased pressure on the, the the rest of the system to be innovative, to look for different ways to do things than they've historically done them. And I think that the role of the patient, you know, we've talked about that for a number of years in our top 10 issues, the, the patient becoming more vocal, becoming a more of an economic player in their own healthcare. But the technology piece of really the connected patient is such a critical piece to being able to control costs as well because sharing that accountability and responsibility to a greater degree with the patient, I think, is good on all accounts. It helps drive better adherence. It helps drive better outcomes. It helps from an affordability um, perspective as well and, and gets at the waste that's, you know, still in the system because of the fragmentation of the market. We're seeing, you know, many more successful initiatives related to connectivity 
from a provider standpoint, a payer standpoint, and a manufacturer standpoint than we've seen ever before. One big area that you highlight from a cost perspective is the pressure on drug pricing. Is 2016 going to be some kind of a watershed year on drug pricing in the United States? Well, I think so. certainly 2015 was somewhat unprecedented in that I think it was the first time that uh, we saw so much focus on drug pricing for an individual category that we saw in, in, in hepatitis C. And I think it was just a, it was just a, uh, a reference point for the pressure that, 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 that the healthcare funders in the system feel for things that one are not anticipated and two that really are driving value. So for a long time, I think we've heard payers and providers say, we want value from drug manufacturers, and here comes a drug that's costly, but also cures a disease. And I think that it was just such an unusual set of circumstances that it really set the baseline for, I think, payers to be, in particular, very vocal about the role of of price in, in, in the in the overall healthcare equation, but also to turn around and have the manufacturers say, but we are doing what has been asked for, which is to prove value, to show outcomes, to change the trajectory of how long somebody uses a drug. And so it was, on one hand, I think, a lot of pressure on price, and the other hand, a very exciting turning point. That said, in 2016, we continue to, you know, know the drugs that are being introduced are more costly overall in general. And despite the, you know, the increased utilization of generic drugs that the the spend on medication is still a major factor and concern, and particularly in smaller diseases with more specialty drugs. So we expect that this is going to continue to put pressure on the relationship between the payer and the manufacturer, as well as as providers continue to take more risk, they look more like payers. So it's really uh, the risk the risk is shifting and and all pushing towards making sure that the manufacturer is more accountable in the sort of the total healthcare equation. I think the challenge is for manufacturers, how do you get there? What, what, it, it can't just be price reduction. It has to be more innovative and more, it, there has to have more partner, partnering elements to it than, than just a straight line price reduction because obviously for all the reasons that have been communicated for a number of years, there's there's a lot of cost and a lot of risk in bringing drugs to market, but the, the actual cost of an individual drug really is, you know, one patient at a time trying to make that affordable to be able to use that product. So to the extent that manufacturers are more focused on, they know they need to communicate value, but how does that translate into the price that's going to be charged for the drug? I think there's still a lot of work to be done, and we would expect to see still a lot of tension in the system around that in 2016. Well, there's concern about the impacts efforts to rein in pricing can have on innovation. You, you suggest the potential for value-based pricing. What do you think a viable solution might look like, and how do you see that taking shape in 2016? 
Yeah, I think I think it's starting to take shape, and we certainly know as the as more providers are taking risk, as more integrated systems are you know really formidable in the marketplace, they're taking on more and more risks themselves, and it's only natural that then their suppliers are going to be asked to take on risk. So we do see manufacturers in selected cases where you know there's. Uh, lots of controls and, you know, an opportunity to to do more outcomes-based pricing. We, we, we've certainly seen manufacturers do it, but it is not the, you know, it is by far not the, you know, the norm. And I think it's it's complicated from an operational perspective. So what we would expect to see in 2016, I think, is a continued focus and effort towards how do you make risk-based pricing work for all parties that are involved, not just one one part of the equation or another part of the equation. But it has to work for manufacturers, it has to work for providers, it has to be in payers, it has to be easy to administer. So there's, we are making progress, and I think there's a lot of effort being put forth by the manufacturers to think about this. And frankly, it's unique to each therapeutic area and sometimes even to each drug because the conditions of the patient, the complexity of the patient, co- co- comorbid conditions, concomitant drug use, how, you know, how critical the disease is. There's just a whole bunch of factors that play into how do you really fairly risk price a, a drug and 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 although it sounds great it's harder to do and I think that you know there is a lot of effort going to, you know towards it and we would expect that that'll continue well another issue involving prices and drugs are the entrance of biosimilars how do you see this market evolving in 2016 and, and will doctors embrace biosimilars will companies with branded products facing new competition have to think of new strategies to protect their markets? I think the whole biosimilar area is very interesting from the perspective that there's lots of partnerships that have emerged, and there's a lot of unusual pairings. So, interestingly, many of the largest biologic companies are also in the process of developing biosimilars. So, it certainly isn't a a bright line between innovators and generic companies the way that the the way generic drugs you know evolved thirty years ago, and it's certainly not as simple as substitution, which really makes you know the innovator creates the demand, the generic company you know becomes the supplier of the low cost alternative. Biosimilars is much more complex from the perspective that just as you noted, there has to be a an overall mentality of interchangeability. Some of that's regulatory driven. Some of that is uh, HCP preference. And in many cases, we're talking about a, you know, certainly a different kind of drug in terms of the the complexity to make the drug and to create standardization around the drug. But as well, I think we're talking about complex diseases that biosimilars likely target and, you know, part of the reason the expense and the, the interest in the market. But the reality is I think it's going to vary by player. So by compound that comes to the market, who are the partners? So when you think about some of the early entrants into the biosimilar market in the U.S., some of those will be, you know, some of the leading biotech companies. So we would expect those those manufacturers to be more rational pricers 
And, you know, already we've got one early indicator in the U.S. of, you know, pricing that certainly isn't as dramatic as what we've seen in terms of the differential between an innovator product and a generic product. Now, will that price hold as other, you know, companies come into the mix? I think it's still to be determined. But I think it's going to be much less predictable. I mean, frankly, right now, for almost all categories, if you're an innovator company and a generic's coming to market, you can now very accurately predict what your downward spiral of, of market share is going to be based on the number of entrants coming in on the generic side. But I think biosimilars is going to take a long time to be able to establish those patterns because it will vary by therapeutic area, by who the players are, and to, just to your point, how expected HCPs are relative to interchangeability of drugs. Cost pressures are also driving new delivery methods whether it's video and telehealth or pushing care to where patients are, such as through retail clinics, what do you see happening in terms of trends with new delivery methods? Yeah, I think this is one of the most exciting areas because the technology is just enabled so much. And for a long time, you know, as you well know, you have to have kind of all the pieces aligned so you can have a great, you can have the technology and the technology, frankly, hasn't been the thing that's been holding us back, but you have to have alignment. You have to have adoption by clinicians. You have to have acceptance by patients. You have to have reimbursement. And, you know, the, that alignment hasn't been as, um, as, as well put together in previous years as we see it now and going into 2016 because the reimbursement as a, you know, just for instance on, you know, telemedicine and, you know, virtual visits and, and remote monitoring and all of those pieces that the payers have seen the light. They've started to create the mechanisms to be able to pay for these these encounters and these interactions. And that really has just, you know, kind of opened up the, you know, the floodgates relative to the, the potential that this, that this, uh, that this represents to the healthcare market really a true multi-channel customer interaction model in the delivery system side of the equation that, you know, again, the technology's been there to be able to support that. But, you know, we really see that, you know, creating a lot of opportunity. And again, I think it goes back to what I mentioned earlier is that there is much more expectation of the connected patient, that the patient plays a role and that their technology for a long time in healthcare, people would just discount to say, well, that's patient self-reported data. It has no value. And I think that now people recognize that the the patient's a critical, you know, p- portion of the equation, especially in terms of impacting outcomes as, you know, you talk about patient activation scores and who really, you know, succeeds in the healthcare system from a positive outcome standpoint has a has much to do with the role that the patient plays. And so all of these pieces, I think, aligning are really creating new care models, new opportunities to create outcomes, and really a much more, you know, exciting environment in which to, just as you noted before, get to the cost equation because you just have different tools than you've had in the past. The integration of technology and the use of data to improve care is another underlying theme. How do you see digital health applications and the integration of such things as smartphones into healthcare changing for both patients and providers? Yeah, we see, you know, just a huge amount of uptake around um, 
mobile mobile applications of all sorts of tools, whether those and those tools are all along the sort of the care continuum from you know not only the dissemination of you know good information, but helping to diagnose the right patient to get the patient to the, you know to the right point of access in the system to help alleviate some of the burdens of accessing care. So from a drug manufacturer standpoint, that's a lot of that still happens in a fairly fragmented fashion to say, is this drug approved, especially for expensive drugs with, you know, uh, critical conditions. And so all of those, you know, functions are being enabled as well as the ongoing collection of data to prove outcomes, to uh, improve adherence, et cetera. So there's probably not a single other element beyond kind of the, the omnipresence of, you know, the, the smartphone to be able to enable healthcare that we've, where we've seen as much change as we've seen, you know, in the last year or two. And, and it just continues. And you're correct that it's, it's not just to the patient, it's, it's to the provider as well. But even perhaps more excitingly, it's the triangulation of the data across different parts of the delivery system and that connectivity that can occur so that there can be a more a, a more uh, unified and harmonized approach to, to managing patients. Well, we hear a lot of talk about big data and the potential it has to transform healthcare. We're good at generating data, but far less at making it actionable. What do you see happening in, in 2016? Well, I think that, you know, just as you noted, I think there was, you know, lots of lots of hype and noise around big data and how it's going to transform. And I think that all parts of the healthcare system have, have the realization that it's really about understanding how you combine unique components of data together uniquely that that, you know, brings the most value and that you have to, it, it isn't just volume. It, 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 you know, it's about the quality of the data and, and not just the quality from a data element standpoint, but what are the, what's the underlying question that you're asking and how do you get to that and how do you get to that in a efficient and, and real time, near real time basis. So I think what we're seeing is people, you know, before where it was just sort of a race to capture data, now we're seeing much more precise and sophisticated efforts to say, what do I really need? How do I bring unique data elements together or unique data sets together? And and what am I, how am I going to use that in a practical way to change change outcome, whether that's clinical outcome, economic outcome, business outcome, whatever? The... Two issues stymieing the digital revolution in healthcare is, is the lack of interoperability between the growing number of data systems and smart devices, as well as growing concerns about data security. How do you see these issues playing out in the new year? Yeah, I think that, you know, so so I think interoperability is is at some level, you know, there's there's still the whole issue of whose data is it and, and what permission do I need and how do I connect data that's not otherwise connected from a system standpoint. Although I would say, as a side note, that the increasing sort of consolidation in the market is making this less of an issue, right, because we're seeing more connected systems. We're seeing larger healthcare delivery systems, larger payers. So that, that connectivity is 
somewhat naturally happening um, in that um, systems are much more um, comprehensive in terms of all sites of service, et cetera. But that said, it's still it, there still is the fundamental issue of of getting consent, of being able to match data, of privacy and security. And, and you know, we see uh, PwC has done a fair amount of work in this area. It's a big, you know, focus of our healthcare practice as well as, you know, all of our businesses within PwC, but healthcare for sure. And, you know, part of it is the being able to build in the controls, the transparency, and the willingness to, you know, showcase that 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 uh, that there is in fact privacy and security built into the systems, and that I think everyone recognizes that there is absolutely no you know system that doesn't have some vulnerability. But how do you mitigate and minimize that vulnerability? So I think there's more onus on the suppliers all through the the system to be more responsible, to be more transparent, to make sure that they're you know not only and following the regulations, which frankly, you know, sometimes put a constraint on, you know, some of the things you'd like to do from a healthcare perspective. But, you know, it's critical that, you know, people are adhering to that. And there's just been, I think, a lot of misinformation in the marketplace around around how information gets shared and what information gets shared. So I think transparency is really one of the the, the critical components to it as well as, as I say, the right controls. I mean, the technology is there to, to, to be able to, you know, put the right controls in place. I think it's always that trade-off between positive user experience and, and, you know, too many controls that sort of make that experience less positive as a result of, you know, having to go through lots of different um, levels and, and, and permissions. But, you know, again, it's it, depending on the, the type of data we're talking about. I think people recognize there's a reason that those, you know, hurdles, you know, are in place. But I think we would expect that this will continue, you know, as much as there's excitement about the all that technology can do, there's kind of the, the flip side of that equation, which is the challenge that that security and privacy add to it. And and the fact that, you know, especially we see this in, in the provider organizations, payers and manufacturers, is that there isn't a single person that makes that decision. It is a very cross-functional decision around what, you know, what information do we want to collect? What are we going to do with it? How do we use it? And that complexity, even from an internal perspective, adds to the decision making about, you know, how do you put the right controls in place? Because not everyone is aligned relative to how they want to solve for this issue um, from a, you know, healthcare system perspective. Well, with the shifting cost burdens and, and new digital health tools, the the role of the patient, the, the healthcare consumer is changing. <clears throat> how do you see the role and the responsibility of the patient evolving and are there tools in place for patients to do a better job of managing their own care? I think there's a lot of tools. I mean, you know, historically, the tool has been largely the carrot and the stick of the, the of financial involvement over the last several years. So, you know, levying, you know, financial responsibility on the patient and 
sort of saying they'll do the right thing as a result of it. And I think that it, it became clear in pretty short order that you have to give the patient other tools to be able to help to manage their disease. They're not clinicians. They're not expected to be clinicians, but they are the one who, you know, is ultimately responsible for and 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 bears the most both risk and um, uh, and and um, upside for effectively managing their health. So I think a lot of the change around the the role of the patient is much more uh, collaborative and much more, hey, we need to engage the patient. And some of that's on the the different players in the healthcare system to make sure that the tools that they give the patient do, in fact, keep them engaged, respect their specific communication preferences, can be that the mechanisms are in place to make those easy to use and routine. But, you know, it has so much to do with psychological behavior, behavioral, um, uh, you know, dynamics and, and psychological uh, elements associated with the disease that they have. And, and you know, there's a whole bunch of factors that play into it. So I think we're getting much more sophisticated about thinking, like, how do, in terms of how do you think about each individual patient and what is going to have the most positive impact on them from a from a disease management perspective where historically we were thinking more about, you know, this, this disease and this is how you manage it and, and, you know, that just didn't work. And now we're really down to one patient at a time trying to impact them. And the technology lets you do that. I think if you can have personalized smart systems that tell you what does this patient respond to, what's going to help them specifically in the context of their disease, we're seeing a lot more positive outcomes associated with that than I think we've seen in the past. And we would expect that that's only more pronounced in 2016 and beyond. Carla Anderson, Principal of U.S. Pharmaceuticals and Life Sciences for PwC. Carla, thanks so much for your time today. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.